1: Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, also known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can help us out by donating via Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you're interested in joining the ALPO, you can for as little as $18 a year. you can find out more at alpo-astronomy.org. And yes, we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you're in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now on to episode 81. Hope you enjoy All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Uh, Today we have on the podcast, uh, from the Jupiter section of the ALPO, Craig McDougal. Welcome to the podcast, Craig.
0: Oh, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, now why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, uh, age, location, occupation, things like that.
0: Okay, let's see, I turned 62 this year. Uh, my training is as a music musician and music educator, and so that's what I do most of the time these days, but uh, uh, in the around 2000, or somewhere around there, uh, no, in the 90s, in the 90s I uh, managed to be the lead presenter at the local planetarium here in Tampa, Florida, uh, and uh, did that for 12 years, uh, which was Lots of fun, oh, I bet. Uh, yeah, but um, so that's that's pretty much uh, I'm married to a musician and I'm making my living uh, teaching music and and playing.
1: And you're a saxophone player, I understand. I'm a saxophone player, and how long have you been playing sax?
0: Yeah, oh, no, okay, hang on. You count when I started in junior high school, that's uh, wow, about 50 years,
1: it's pretty good. So, have yeah. you what kind of sax do you have? Alto sax or?
0: Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well I don't have a soprano sax. Okay. Uh, in the 80s, I made my living, most of my living as just a gigging musician. Really? Yeah. In and, the Tampa uh, area? In the Tampa area. Well, all up and down the coast, uh, all the way down to past Sarasota, almost uh, did some in Marco Island, and then up the west coast, uh, uh, up north, up into, you know, Lakanto, Crystal River. Uh, I don't think I ever got to Crystal River. Playing mostly 40s-style big band. Uh. So Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, all that kind of stuff.
1: Now, are you in a band now?
0: No, I, I play on uh, a volunteer basis at my um, at my church. Uh, in fact, we're uh, playing for this Sunday services, and uh, and there's been a few stints where I was in charge of that orchestra. But the current music director there is is uh, comfortable directing an orchestra, and I'm happy to be just part of the section.
1: Now, you said your wife's a musician as well.
0: Yeah, she's a pianist. Oh um and also uh, also piano teacher you know for my saxophone i yeah i didn't get to that part i have an alto a tenor and a low a baritone saxophone oh my goodness uh, because it was like you know when somebody calls you up you, you play sax yeah okay um and what do you need right <laughs> yeah i've yeah, got it
1: wow that's awesome yeah, I, I, i've dabbled in music my entire life and i love the sound of a sax saxophone i think it's just incredible
0: yeah. It's very flexible. Uh, I spend a lot of my time, I mean, I can play uh, the really edgy jazz and all that kind of stuff uh, if that's what's needed, but I also can get a sound that uh, I can play in a traditional service in the Methodist church and nobody runs and hides. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now, how did you get interested in astronomy? Uh, astronomy actually came before my interest in music. Uh, I, that goes back to when I was eight or nine or something like that i grew up uh south of downtown jacksonville florida at the time when i was basically surrounded by a dairy farm Hmm. and so it was the kind of conditions that i could step out my back door and give two seconds for my eyes to adjust and see the milky way oh my goodness you know and so uh the sky was always there uh so uh that's where it got started and i went pretty much all through my childhood uh you know up past high school up into my adulthood, with just your basic 60 millimeter uh, refractor. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where I got uh, the most interested in Jupiter, was even with a basic uh, telescope like that, I could see the dance of the moons, I could see the, um, uh, the main equatorial belts and um you know and so that just hooked me right there
1: that's fantastic yeah that's the same size scope i started with as well and it's yeah a 60 millimeter no one should discount a small refractor like that i mean you can do some valuable work i did 200 observations of a crater when i was in the ALPO training program in the 70s so it's got me through okay. that thing
0: so yeah and, you know and from a really dark sky right uh you know the the things uh uh star clusters open clusters what is what looked best in that little scope, but from a dark sky, I could see um uh the star clusters pretty nicely, It was the kind of conditions that uh with my i would use my seven by thirty five binoculars to just scan around until I saw something fuzzy and the name the telescope at it. Oh, wow <laughs> you know so it's, it's now I'm going back to that project it's not like that anymore it's all like. <laughs> Like that no, there head. aren't
1: many sites like that anymore. <laughs> yes. Now what's your current so, uh, uh observing equipment?
0: Um uh, my current is uh in uh just let's see, it was I guess officially just after I joined alpo uh I knew that I wanted to um uh do high power views of Jupiter in Mars and planets, things like that. Um uh, and so I combination of commercial parts and uh scavenging parts put together a six inch f10 newtonian wow and um that gives refractor like images back before uh uh that size refractors were even close to being affordable
1: so you built that yourself
0: and so um and so that's my main instrument is my six inch f10 uh i also have a little um um uh yard sale rescue Tasco four and a half inch that, uh, I mainly use for, um, outreach events and things like
1: that. But you built the reflector yourself.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, bought the optics from Jagers. If anybody remembers them anymore. Okay. Uh, bought the optics from them, uh, and then kind of put things together, mix and match. The primary mirror mount is, uh, uh, plywood and, and hardware, using the plans from, uh, I think, the Edmund Scientific, the Little Blue, How to Make a Telescope Book, and, um, you know, and things like that. So I, I did a lot of, my finder scope is, a um, uh, was supposed to, was originally a terrestrial 60 millimeter refractor, one of those kind of odd zoom kind of telescopes that a friend gave me. And I, um, um, I took the zoom part out of it and, and put a, an eyepiece in it. and. And mounted it on the side of the of the tube, and that's my finder, huh. you know, things like that. So just being the poor young married guy, uh, I, uh, you know, just save money where I could. So right. Uh, the other thing that that's fun about my telescope, and and uh, anybody that's listening, that's anywhere around me, uh, already knows me, is this: the tube is a uh, eight inch uh, used sewer pipe. Uh, used. Used. I found it uh, at some, I got it for five bucks. Oh yeah. But uh, (laughs) I I found it at a, uh, um, um, you know, used plumbing kind of place. I I look and look around. Oh, used plumbing. I go to this, this, this yard that in back behind the, the the place was like uh, a probably a couple of dozen toilets sitting in the grass and stuff like that. And a bunch of PVC pipe that was, um, um, you know, obviously, been dug up by a backhoe, so it was all in pieces and cracked and stuff like that. And I found a section that looked uh, like it had enough undamaged part. Uh, and looked at the guy, what do you, you know, what do you want for that? And he kind of looked at me funny. He said, "Give me five bucks."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, and I was going to paint it, uh-huh. but uh, it quickly became like kind of like my that, that's my gimmick, you know, because it still says in green letters along the side there, sewer. And so I'm, I'm the guy with the sewer scope. That's
1: great. Stands out at a star party, I'm sure.
0: Yes. And so, um, and I, and that's, I wasn't the first one to do that. My high school buddy back in Jacksonville was the first one to see uh, um, a, um, a sewer pipe at a construction site or something like that. And he was grinding his own eight-inch telescope. Wow. And, uh, um, and he still has that, by the way.
1: Huh. So. Another sewer pipe. You Just start a club. <laughs>
0: yeah, the, the, the sewer scope and, and uh, the the mount. It's on a German equatorial mount, also from Jager's, Okay, but uh, you know, but the uh, uh, other stuff like that was you know what I could build for myself and and you know, in nineteen eighty six, it probably cost me altogether. Well, not counting the mount because my high school buddy gave me his old mount, but uh, not counting the mount cost me <laughs> like. 225 dollars wow well you know
1: sounds like a deal and optically really nice too huh? yeah Uh,
0: yeah and it's just with the um six inch uh one inch diagonal and so the diffraction from the central obstruction is is almost non-existent and uh and so yeah i can i can crank it up I, i normally look at jupiter at um at 215 power uh seven millimeter orthoscopic okay and i on a good night, I could probably crank it up to, um, uh, 300, but I just never got around to getting that eyepiece.
1: Wow. Wonderful. So what got you in involved with the association of lunar planetary observers?
0: Well, it, I, I was aware of it. Um, you know, already, um, I've, I've had a continuous subscription to sky and telescope magazine since <laughs> 1970. And, uh, you know, and so there were, it was mentioned in the magazine and about then uh, in, in the 80s, after getting married and buying the first house and, and kind of getting settled down, um, you know, I, I wanted to do more than just look. I wanted to be able to uh, contribute to uh, research where I could. And so that's where I started scheming to come up with, OK, what kind of telescope can I, uh, can I make that I can afford? And, uh, yeah, and that's why I wanted to uh, join the ALPO so I could submit observations that would have, uh, uh, scientific use, usefulness. And so that was all, um, I guess I joined in 1985. Okay. Uh, doc- I, I went and looked at, I still have my, uh, paper issues of the strolling astronomer. Mm. And, uh, um, and my first one was, uh, published in October of 85. So,
1: okay. All right. So what got you involved with the Jupiter section?
0: Um, Jupiter has just always been my favorite planet. As I mentioned before, just the dance of the moons and mm-hmm. watching the eclipses was exciting. And then especially after, um, um, uh, getting my, my six inch telescope and being able to see the, the belts and zones and the red spot in pretty good amount of detail. Then, uh, I thought that that's it's just my favorite thing to look at. And so let's go ahead and, uh, uh, contact Jupiter section and get started.
1: You know. Okay, yeah, so, we're recording this in August of 2019, and Jupiter right now is very prominent in the evening sky, and it looks incredible.
0: Oh, I, I, I guess it does. Uh, this part, this part of Florida oh. in August oh. is thunderstorm season. This is true. And, uh, uh, and, and so I'm sorry, uh,
1: <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll delete that part.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. It's just, well, it, it is kind of, uh, uh, have you lived in this part of Florida?
1: I've never lived in Florida. I'm Southern
0: California. Uh, okay. Cause it is just, uh, uh, people talk about uh, lightning and it really is, uh, uh, some summers it's not always, but some summers it's just, uh, every afternoon, the big honking thunderstorm and, and uh, and then it usually takes until somewhat after midnight to uh, yeah. for all the debris of that to clear out. And so, uh, yeah, we just really haven't had much of a chance. Actually, right now in, in late August, we have a uh, what's probably going to turn into a tropical depression, and won't it'll run up the east coast of Florida, but it will spread a lot more clouds and things like that. Yeah, so, we're
1: coming into hurricane season right now.
0: Yeah, so I, it's it's one of those kind of things of I've gotten about three decent looks of Jupiter this apparition, but uh, you know, does it it, you have you have good days, you have bad days, right. but, or good years and bad years, and so.
1: Okay, well, why so, don't you give yeah. us an overview of the Jupiter section?
0: Well, Jupiter section, um, um, we um, uh, mostly uh, you know collect uh, nowadays images, and that's part of what I do. My my. Uh, uh, job is just running the Alpo Jupiter Yahoo group. And, um, and that's where uh, uh, ALPO members are um, um, discussing what they're seeing on Jupiter and submitting, not directly submitting the images, but submitting links to where we can see the images. And so even though I'm not seeing my telescope. Uh, I'm seeing uh, these wonderful images from the likes of Anthony Wesley and Christopher Goh and uh, Mark DelCroix and all those kinds of things. So I'm getting a lot of vicarious uh, observing of Jupiter. And, uh, and that's pretty much the biggest focus is just collecting these images and making them available for, um, uh, for the professionals. Uh, there's also, um, a, the old school technique of what's called transit timing, where you, uh, time, uh, when a, uh, feature on Jupiter is right halfway between East and West. And, uh, and then from that, you can derive the, uh, longitude of it. And we can, that way, um, we can track the features where they're drifting in terms of that. Uh, and so that's another part of it. And then, um, uh. Up and It's kind of winding down now, but we also have a Galilean um, eclipse program where you time. And this is something that can be done with this 60-millimeter refractor.
1: Yeah, I used to do uh, a lot of that with John Westfall.
0: Yeah, with John Westfall. And so, yeah, it's kind of wound down now mm-hmm. uh, since his passing. And also, the, the point of the eclipse timing program before was to help refine uh, the JPL ephemerates. Uh, you know the and and to see if they were accurately predicting, and uh, if you participated in it, you you saw that there in the reports that John put out, there were times when especially Europa was not quite following what mm-hmm. the uh, ephemeris said it should, and uh, you know, and so that was uh, a help for uh, the uh, dynamics guys in JPL to uh, refine their math for what what these moons are doing. And also to uh, maybe get a little hint of what's going on at Jupiter itself. And so that's pretty much so imaging and, and of course, the descriptive uh, reports uh, and then the Galilean timings and the transit timings for the people that are still old school. And uh, and that's also that's for if you don't have the for people that don't have a lot of uh, imaging equipment, stuff like that then they can um, uh, still do the transit timings, which is still very important in tracking uh, the various weather features on Jupiter.
1: Okay, let's, let's back up a minute. You talked about the Yahoo section. What is that?
0: Okay, so you know Yahoo, as in the, the online section, um, this was when I uh, became an assistant recorder, was uh, just a, a way for all of the members to communicate easily and quickly. Uh, and so it's, uh, uh, Yahoo groups. And, um, and so I started that in 2001 and I'm the the moderator of that. And it's, it's a, it's an old school, uh, um, email list. So you, you, uh, post something on that and then it's mass email to everybody. Or it doesn't have to be emailed. Uh, you can, uh, as a user, you can, uh, choose to get it through, um, uh, a digest, which is actually the way I do it. Uh, so each day it takes whatever new messages have come in and then sends you one email with those. And uh, and then you also have the choice of just uh, going on your own time to the website and looking at the messages there. But it's it's relatively instant communication. Um, do you remember when um, uh, Anthony Wesley saw the non shoemaker Levy nine? Impact of Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was the word got out most quickly by his post to the Yahoo group. Huh. Okay. You know, in fact, I was, I was sitting on my back porch on a Sunday um, and looking, uh, you know, looking through the, the messages. And that's when he said, I haven't seen anything like this since Shoemaker leaving nine could have been hit again. And, uh, you know, so that was all just very exciting, but that was probably the, the quickest way that that word got out was through the Yahoo group.
1: Okay, and there's a link for that on the ALPL web, web page? Yes. Okay, I will find that, and will, I'll add that to the show notes so people, if they want to, they can uh, go there for information on the Jupiter section, and they also upload images there as well?
0: Yes, and uh, we've started, um, uh, not me, but uh, the section has started uh, an archive of, um, and, well, just a, a place for you to upload your images. In fact, it's actually, when you take images, that's the best thing is to uh, upload it to the... Uh, uh, through the website to the um, uh, Jupyter archive where it's not only just in an archive, but it's indexed and things like that. Um, uh, it's best if the user, there's a uh, kind of a format for what the file name should be uh, just because that makes it easier for indexing, things like that. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, and that, that's the best way uh, to uh, get your Im- uh, images too. Uh, the jupiter section for you know the analysis and to make it a, available to any professionals that want to study them.
1: Okay. I've also seen that there's a ALPO Japan. Now that's not related to us in
0: any way, is it? Correct. It just uh the names just kind of li- lined up. Uh and uh so they weren't trying to be connected to us and and uh, well ALPO uh, uh, in the United States came first. Right. And I I'm not even sure if they um um uh, anybody even knew about that until somebody pointed it out to him later. I don't know.
1: Oh, but, okay. uh,
0: but, you know, it's uh, as in the astronomy world, uh, people don't fret a whole lot about uh, those kind of identities. No. And so um, uh, the ALPO uh, Japan is, is a great resource and connections, similar to uh, the Jupiter section of the British Astronomical Association.
1: Okay. Yeah, I believe Walter Haas would have sued a dog food company a long time ago if he felt there was a problem
0: yeah <laughs> you know, well, but, well walter was never that kind of a guy no, i know i know yeah, I've, I've had a chance to meet him a couple of actually uh, his um um sister used to live uh just across the bay from me in clearwater oh. and uh and so one time and i'm trying to remember i think this was back still in the days when we were communicating by by snail mail mm-hmm. uh and he mentioned that uh um uh, he was gonna be visiting his sister and did I want to come over and, and chat Oh, myself. <laughs> so, so I got to see him there. Oh good. Uh, besides at the couple of um of conventions been being able to attend. Yeah, that's so,
1: what that's where I mostly met him was at conventions early on. Now is yeah, there I'm, suggested observing equipment for the Jupiter section?
0: Um for the Jupiter section, uh other than the Galilean satellites, uh if you're gonna to want to do um imaging or sketching that's where i did most of my uh contributions uh, was um sketching jupiter and that's good that's to hear. still hmm? that's good to hear <laughs> yeah and that no it's still it's 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 still accepted it's still important uh especially now if skilled people sketching are submitting these observations that allows um you know us and the researchers To compare what the sketch showed as to what the images, the digital images show, and that gives a better idea of uh, historical sketches, uh, um, comparing, you know, what features, what they look like now that we can do all sorts of uh, multispectral imaging. But uh, probably for uh, for imaging, actually, Brian Combs, I believe, uses a 4-inch apochromatic refractor. So I would say, yeah. A uh, four-inch refractor, six-inch reflector, uh, and then up from there. And, right. uh, you know, and especially with the imaging and the ability of doing uh, the processing, um, you might not really need much more than that. You know, part part of the reason is that our atmosphere uh, kind of limits how much you can get out of it anyway, just in terms of seeing. So, Okay. Um,
1: now you mentioned transit timings is one of the programs. Can you yeah. give us an explanation of? You talked about it a little bit, but yeah. if someone were interested in doing that, what equipment? How how do they do, and what are they timing?
0: Okay, so um, equipment: four inch refractor, six inch reflector, something like that. For the red spot, you can even do it with uh, a smaller instrument. But uh, Jupiter takes a little under ten hours to rotate, uh, which means that. Um, uh, you can not quite in real time watch it uh, rotate, but you can certainly look at something and go off and do something for, for five minutes and come back and see that it's turned. And so what for transit timing, what you're doing is, is just mentally drawing a line down the middle of the disk uh, from east to west or west to east, however you want to do it, and watching uh, a feature uh, and timing when it's right there in uh, in the middle of the disk, halfway between rising and setting. Um, and, you know, get that time uh, to the closest minute. Uh, and then there's some, well, there used to be some math to do, but now there's a couple of places uh, on the Internet where you can uh, then turn that into uh, a longitude. And I'll talk about longitude in just a minute. Uh, But that's pretty much what it is, is just what you can see and mostly what you're going to be uh, timing are the various kind of spots. The great red spot, the smaller oval that we call BA, some of the other uh, features, uh, they have all sorts of interesting names like barges and and festoons and and things like that. But (laughs) pretty much if you can see it uh, in your telescope, then you can watch it uh, as it marches across the ditch. The, the disk just watching every minute or two until he decided that it's right there halfway across and uh, record that time. And, um, and that gives us uh, longitude. Now let me talk about longitude. Uh, uh, back when the uh, telescopes got good enough for uh, something like the red spot to be seen, then uh, everybody got excited. Oh, we can find out how fast uh, Jupiter spins. And so the easiest thing to do was to do pretty much the same technique with the great red spot. Um, And so that came up to a time of, with a few seconds around there, about nine hours and 55 minutes for Jupiter to go around once, uh, or at least for the red spot to go around once. A little bit more careful observation uh, found that the equatorial regions of Jupiter uh, spin faster because it 's not a solid surface it 's a gas giant uh, and so things in the at the equator would take nine hours and fifty minutes to go around. so the original idea was that uh to come up with an arbitrary zero point for longitude, it was going to be the red spot. but then more careful observations showed that the red spot drifts, and so uh, a little gets a little bit ahead, a little bit behind uh mostly going one way uh and so going getting ahead of itself so um uh somewhere i don't remember when they just kind of said all right let's come up with an average uh number and this is the rotation rate of the latitude of the red spot which is most of the uh planet and then the other uh an average for the latitudes near the equator And those are just arbitrarily decided periods and it's it's down to the second I don't have that memorized. Uh, And so that's um, the red spot is system two and the equatorial region is system one. And so then using that reference, which is uh, completely arbitrary, but at least it's consistent. Then uh, you compute longitudes and you can see how things drift uh, within those longitudes. Now, there's also a system three, which tracks the rotation rate of Jupiter's magnetic field, which is yet a different number, which I forget what that number is. <laughs> but and so supposedly that's the actual rotation rate of the core. But uh, that's just kind of sur- um, surmised. So. Um, so, yeah. So consequently, the uh, the red spot, that's right, it goes the other way. The red spot gains longitude at a relatively um, uh constant rate but not always you know, I, I myself uh watched over i think it was only a course of like four days between timing doing the transit timing of the red spot back when i had to do the calculations manually
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh and then um four days later i got another timing of the red spot and it was coming out all wrong and it was like, wait, I'm, um, and no, I didn't make a mistake. The red spot had drifted about its own length in wow. four days. Really? Yeah. And it was like, really, um, for the people that, that look at Jupiter, uh, there's kind of like that turbulence on the one side, mm-hmm. on the following side of, and, and when I looked at it the second time, the turbulence was gone. And it was almost like the red spot just kind of drifted over there and sat on top of it. <laughs> it was really strange. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, um, uh, So that was that was just really 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 weird. That was the only time I've seen it drift that much that quickly. But it it did. It just did a little zip over there and in less than a week. I don't remember. It was, this is was back in,
1: That's great. Probably yeah. before it's, 1990. It's, it's, I like that we can actually do act, uh, amateur astronomers could do science. With, yeah, with, and that's, with, that relative, was my, like I said with relatively small telescopes, four and six inch.
0: Yeah, that that was my draw. I mean, it's like okay, I've looked at pretty stuff uh, long enough. But let me see. I've always been interested in science, uh, and I've always wanted to be able to contribute to it. Um, and so the ALPO showed me uh, a way that that I could do that with my modest equipment. Mm. I also did a pretty good amount of uh, observing of Mars before the uh, uh, for the uh, the. Uh, apparitions, and so, um, and that's pretty. That, that's been pretty much my my focus. I did a little bit of Venus observing too. Okay. Oh, and and I did in the early days, um, John Westfall's lunar dome survey. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Now we've just kicked that off again as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, so well, but now it's like on the next level. Yeah, you know, because uh, John was still trying to uh, uh, just kind of get this catalog in a a uh, uh, standardized way of categorizing these domes. You know, and so uh, uh, and so now, yeah, now we're kind of like to the next level. got okay, we've got this basic information. Let's let's uh, kick it up a notch. That's true.
1: Good. Yeah, that's a good program too. They've been on the yeah. uh, podcast to talk about that. Yeah. Now, how yeah. many current contributors does the Jupiter section have?
0: Uh oh, contributors. Yeah. Ooh. Um. Now I don't know. I don't know a way of getting a hard number on that. I know on the the Alpo jupiter yahoo group there's over 500 oh wow but most of them are are uh, just listening in okay. kind of a thing but in terms of contributors i would say uh if you count everybody up that you know people like like me this year that would only be able to get maybe one or two uh, uh observations in still 15 or so okay easily All right. you know 15 or 20 you know All Right.
1: so in the observations <clears throat> that have come in uh what are some of the interesting things that we've seen during the current apparition
0: oh the this apparition has been just re- it's been all about the red spot because interesting things are going on with the red spot um for one thing this is one thing that that uh uh is kind of well established the red spot is slowly shrinking mm-hmm. and uh and you can compare images taken uh from twenty years ago with images taken now and it's pretty in fact for me having observed Jupiter personally, every time I do get a look at the red spot, I go, dang, it looks small (laughs) because I remember when it was bigger, but this is redder. And well, that's come and gone. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I, I have seen there's times when the red spot has just kind of faded completely. Mm -hmm. And all you, you see is the hollow, uh, you know, basically where the circulation is, but no red at all. Uh, And I've seen a, a, a lovely salmon pink. Yep. Uh, and then you know, red and, and uh, uh, really red, and then starting to get almost reddish brown uh, brick kind of color. So, uh, but yeah, this year it's it's doing it's doing the red part of the red spot really well. Okay. Um, but um, it's you know we we've gotten especially with with the current uh, observers, uh, gotten images that where you can see details within the red spot. And, and track how fast it spins within itself. Uh, and but this year it's been like shedding pieces of itself.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, and they they're, they're calling them flakes. You know, this the thing about terminology you just kind of say what kind of comes to mind at the time, and everybody runs with it because okay. we're not quite sure physically what's going on. But um, you can see where um, uh, you know some of the red along the edge almost looks like it gets thrown off by um, a centrifugal force into the um, uh, jet stream that's running along the uh, border hmm. of the red spot. And it goes and, and goes along there and kind of uh, fades a little bit. And, and that's been going on all apparition. Everybody's just like, like wow. I mean, everybody's kind of going, Have you ever seen this before? And I don't think anybody has seen it wow. before, especially since it was ongoing. I think it has finally settled down before three months or so it's been just kind of like flaking off here and, and um, um, uh, you know, another little piece goes off that direction. And then another kind of hangs out there and goes off and, you know, and so, yeah, we're, we're, the thing that is, we're just observing from here and we're not quite sure what is physically going on at Jupiter, you know, it's possibility that this is going on all the time, but the higher-level ice clouds keep us from seeing that. But this year, we're able to see that. I don't know. Interesting. But, and uh,
1: and there's also recently um, a, a observation, or a, I guess someone was videotaping the moon or making some images, and uh, they recorded an impact, probably a comet or yes. something like that, into Jupiter. Yes.
0: Yeah. I've they, seen, seen several of those over the years. Um, that uh, uh, you know, it's just a a, uh, a momentary flash, and apparently not a big enough object to burn up and leave a uh, you know create chemical reactions to leave a dark spot like with Shoemaker Levy, yeah. the other one that I talked about that um, Anthony Wesley saw. But um, um, part of the you know, one of the things that let me kind of give you a little background is there's software out there. Uh, WinJupos, uh, W I N J U P O S. Uh, That's free and it helps with the image processing. It does one thing is um, since Jupiter rotates so fast, if you take 10 minutes to get all of your images in red channel and green channel and blue channel, well, Jupiter's rotating that amount of time and this software is able to realign it, you know, kind of undo the rotation so that all the all your three colors line up. Uh, And so that's helped a lot with uh, the kind of detail that can be uh, uh, eked out of images of Jupiter. But as soon as somebody saw this flash, somebody wrote an add-on to that that um, then analyzes your images. Uh, Because the way uh, planetary observers image something like Jupiter uh, is they take video. And then with WinJupos and other um, processing software, it looks at the individual frames, right, and lines them up and throws out the ones that the scene just for that second was so bad, and that it's just you can't see anything like that. And it's 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 uh, kind of adaptive optics on the back end of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so anyway, somebody wrote this add-on to WinJupos that you can upload, you can, you can run, it runs your video that you took looking for flashes like that. Oh, you know, you don't have to go through frame by frame. It does it for you. And then it says, Hey, this frame here, looks like there's something. And then, you know, you can go back and look at it for yourself.
1: I hadn't heard Uh, that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. uh, I'm trying to remember who did that add on. Uh, you know, again, since I'm, I'm not playing with it myself, uh, I just get all this vicariously by what people are talking about on the Yahoo group. And so, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's a really cool thing is just that uh, you, you take your video, you do your processing. Meanwhile, you set your computer looking to see if there are any flashes. And if you do, you know, then there's a timestamp with that. And then you can see if anybody else got uh, a flash for confirmation. Now that's a, that's a, the first one of those flashes. That's a fun story. Um, just because Anthony Wesley in Australia was imaging Jupiter, and he just happened to look at his computer monitor when he saw this flash, and you know, in this it, in his time zone, it was like I don't know, three in the morning, something like that. And so he did whatever a astronomer does: he picked up his cell phone and called Christopher Go in the Philippines, uh, knowing that he'd be up. <laughs> <laughs> and said, Chris, are you imaging right now? Yeah. Look at this timestamp. Do you see a flash there? <laughs> and, you know, and he did too oh, when wow. he went back to that part. And so that was, you know, that was like instant confirmation that it wasn't just some artifact of yeah, so some flash
1: of the CCD or something.
0: Yeah, and so like that. And so um, and so shortly after that is when, um, oh, man, I wish I remember the name. I'm pretty sure it's Um, On, if you go to the WinJupos site, okay, uh, which is also uh, listed on the um, uh, ALP uh, Jupiter section, Um, yeah. Then, um, but yeah, somebody wrote up this little routine to look for that, and so now if it sees something, then you can uh, go to the to the Yahoo group or whatever and say, "I saw a flash at this timestamp on this day." uh The rest of you guys did you see see it yourself with that we've gotten six or so okay. um a confirmed uh meteor impacts like that
1: interesting that's
0: wild yeah and that that you know that that is is big time science because yep. um they're still they're kind of trying to guess uh try to determine how much material is still floating around out there in the uh, in the solar system. And so there are estimates of how often Jupiter gets hit, uh, but they're just estimates kind of, uh, you know, just kind of based on a little bit what we know. Well, now this is hard data that can can constrain uh, some of those estimates, you know. So that that that's, again, it's just really cool science without having to have like a big old observatory with it.
1: That's a good point. I like that. Now, uh, the observations that are submitted to the Jupiter section – a lot of them go to the, the Yahoo site, but you also publish results in the journal, right?
0: Yes, in the journal. And so um, uh, Richard Schmudi, um, uh, our, our coordinator, uh, puts together an apparition report and chooses uh, uh, images to uh, illustrate that. And um, uh, back before Richard did it, when I was doing sketches, you know, I've, I've had uh, a number of my sketches. um uh published in the journal you know that, that's always just kind of cool yeah, I'm, a, I'm I'm a pu- published guy yep. and and if you go to the yahoo group uh the picture for the yahoo group is uh by uh shamelessly uh, scanned in one of my sketches of course so that's
1: there's nothing yeah. wrong with that
0: uh but yeah so so they're put together and besides you know making them available uh with uh, with the professionals uh uh Richard puts together uh uh, apparition reports that are published in the journal, um, you know, detail. I'm sure for the when he puts together the report for uh, this apparition, it'll have a lot of this talking about the interesting things that the red spots doing. So
1: okay, yes. Now you mentioned professionals, so I take it there's a lot of pro am collaboration in the Jupiter yes. section.
0: Yes, yeah. There, there's a lot. I can't name any of the professionals right now, but I know, uh, I, I know that they uh, are. Uh, more than just aware of us, oh yeah, uh, that they they uh, uh, like uh, uh, the fact, especially now that um, we have a nice indexed image uh, uh, archive, uh, and so that they can, uh, when they're observing Jupiter with the Hubble Space Telescope, then they can compare it uh, with um, uh, the amateur images, and then similarly, the uh, amateurs are still uh, on the forefront. Of saying, "Hey, something interesting is going on," and uh, and then we you know, uh, the organization gets the word out to the professionals that, that that something interesting is going on, and then they can schedule time on ground based or the Hubble Space Telescope, things like that. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's an important part of it.
1: Yeah, now, Craig, this is great. I'm, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there any additional information you'd like to share about the Jupiter section?
0: no uh, yeah. I, I think i managed to cover all of that I start thinking about because i'm i'm kind of one of those guys especially after doing the planetarium and i'm a teacher mm-hmm. it's kind of like you wind me up and you just watch me go
1: i you know? I, I can see that and that you're a perfect <laughs> guest for a podcast i tell you
0: <laughs> and so uh, and so um uh that's pretty much uh, you know everybody's welcome and uh and there's uh certainly uh level for well especially going through the training program so that you learn some just Mm -hmm. some of the the basic ways of doing a systematic recording of data uh and then after that yeah, all observations are um are welcome and if you just have time to do uh just submitting transit timings uh which uh especially even like just the red spot as, as i mentioned it it drifts kind of erratically sometimes so um if uh, you just have the time to uh, uh, look in the sky and telescope uh, or one of the other places where you can see when the red spot's going to be on your side of the planet and go out and, and time its um, uh, transit to get a longitude for it and submit that, that's, that's all still good. And, you know, for me, I'm thinking, well, uh, it doesn't sound like much, but hey, it's an excuse to look at Jupiter.
1: There you go. <laughs> that's very good. So how can everybody get a hold of you?
0: um let's see uh email address is um uh m-a-c-d-o-u-c as in the first first six letters of mcdougall and then c for craig okay at verizon.net
1: all right i'll add that that, onto the show notes
0: yeah i was gonna say that's that's listed on the um jupiter section page okay so um and yeah the, the the I, I was on the internet back in the like early days mm-hmm. when it was DOS based and you could only have eight characters mm-hmm. um, on the on the left side of, of the at sign. Oh yeah, and so uh, uh, so for one thing that I need to log on, that's that was the, what was assigned me first six letters of McDougal, hmm. and then the C with a space left over in case like or uh, well, for example, my wife is Candace okay. with a C. So if she was going to be logged on there, I would be C-R-M-A-C-D-O-U-C-R and she would be M-A-C-D-O-U-C-A, uh, that kind of thing. Right. And so later on when I'm trying to come up with something for, uh, for my Verizon account and I tried some of the kind of normal variations of McDougal, and they were all already taken, I said, let me try this stupid way. <laughs> and, and nobody else had used it, so that, that's my deal.
1: Great, I got a favorite ask. Sure, is your saxophone handy?
0: Um, well, it takes a couple of minutes to put it together. Would you mind playing us
1: out a little tune?
0: Okay, ooh, I have to remember. Uh, I mean, it is right here beside me. Okay, so
1: I've never had a guest play a musical instrument on the podcast. Here at first,
0: okay, all right. Yeah, I have no idea what my computer um, uh, microphone will do with the okay. sound of this, but you know, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Now, uh, for the, for people who have played instruments like saxophone clarinets, you know, you have a reed that it needs to be wet. Right. Okay. So that means if I do any more talking in, in the next about 30 seconds, I'm going to be talking with a reed stuck in my mouth. Okay, well, I can
1: I can cut the next 30 seconds out.
0: Oh, it is kind of fun because if you're playing <laughs> playing a saxophone, if you're doing it professionally, you learn how to speak intelligently. <laughs> intelligently. Oh, but I, I probably won't say much of anything. All right. All right. The now, the other thing about playing something like the saxophone is um, uh, you put the reed on and the first thing you do is complain about the reed. <laughs> so I have to find out because it is, you know, it's organic. It's, it's right. Uh, And you're never quite sure what it's going to do when you first try to start playing on it. Okay. All right. So, this is the saxophone solo uh, in uh, Ravel's orchestration of Mazorsky's Pictures and Exhibition, the movement The Old Castle.
1: All right. That was great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Craig.
0: All right. It was fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast again. All righty. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. I really want to thank Craig McDougall for coming on the Observer's Notebook, Notebook Podcast today. He really did a great job, and I love the playing sacks too. Pretty fun. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. It brings more listeners to the podcast. It helps publicize it. Please, please, please take two minutes out of your time. Go to iTunes and give us the five-star rating and help us out. You can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. And if you really enjoy the podcast, please consider donating to it. We need every single dime. This is a self-sufficient podcast. No money's come from the ALPO to support it. It takes a great deal of time and energy, and we got bandwidth and all sorts of things we got to pay for on a monthly basis. So please, 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 if you can not help us out, I appreciate it. You can by going to Patreon you can give up to $35 a month where you will receive one year's membership to the podcast, one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop for his continued generous support of the podcast. Thank you very much, Steve. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes. If you have a, Uh, program suggestion or you want to chat with me, drop me an email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you very much for listening.